The would-be rancher replied, well, I wanted to name it the Bar J Ranch. My wife favored Susie Q. One of our sons wanted the Flying W. And the other son liked the Lazy Y Ranch. So we decided to name it the Bar J Susie Q Flying W Lazy Y Ranch. But where are all your cattle, replied the friends. None survived the branding. <laughs> the lack of unity among church members can be just as lethal. We need to come together. We need to band together. Keep our focus. Remember who we're fighting against and what we're fighting for. So the title of today's message is called A United Front. Webster's Dictionary defines United Front as a group of people who join together to, a, to achieve a shared goal. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as a group of people united in a common cause and presenting such a show of unity. Dictionary.com defines the term United Front as a coalition formed to oppose a force that menaces against the interests of all members. That's why I search different definitions, because it seems to paint the whole picture when you do that. You can see that it's not just a band of people uniting around one thing. But there's more to it when you're talking about a united front that we show a united force within us because we're opposing the same force, the same enemy that's trying to wreak havoc on us. We're achieving that same goal. See how all three of them put together shows the whole picture. Over the last few months and even as early as last Wednesday at staff meeting, I continue to push and urge that we don't just become a fellowship of believers, but a cadre. And a cadre I've shared with you before is a band of brothers. More than just a, hey, that's my brother. But a band that locks arms together, that fights for, not fights with, fights for one another. They sacrifice for one another and they care for one another. I want Cornerstone Assembly of God to rewrite our reputation in this community. I want us to be known as a strong, healthy body of believers who stand together united for God's glory and love. And love for each other, for God, for each other. For ourselves, right? Love God, love others, love yourself. Have you ever played tug of war? If you haven't, let me just try to explain. The game of tug of war is where two opposing teams pull across a, a rope, pull across a, a mud pit. I mean, that's the best ones, right? I mean, you've seen them other ways and it's like, yeah, it's not as good. A mud pit. And what they do is try to, try to, with strength, see who's the strongest team and by pulling the other team into the mud pit. And you don't just stop with that first one or two people, do you? 
Oh, no, my brother Aaron says. You got to drag them all in. You don't stop. There's no mercy. Right? Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I, I mean, I grew up in youth ministry and then, you know, ran youth ministry for some years. And I noticed that there is an overall arching strategy where you put the, the big guy, we'll call him, at the end, as a matter of fact, the best ones are when, go ahead, tie on, buddy, tie on, like an anchor, right? They tie on, let's just call him the big guy or girl at the end. And then you line them up straight till you get to the smallest one up front, right? Because really they don't have any. Right? Well, this is what happened. Well, over the years, I noticed a, a new pattern emerging, and they would notice that the other team would almost feel empowered by looking across that mud pit and seeing that little weakling right there in front. Oh, we're going to get you. And so the opposing, what I noticed is that the winning teams were the ones that started a different strategy. They would not only put the big guy in back, but they'd put another big guy in front. He would be the intimidator. And sometimes it was a girl because she had the biggest mouth. Because it wasn't just that they could show their strength, but they wanted to speak their strength. Oh, you're going to eat that mud. You're going to eat. So they would put the big person in front and the big person in back and almost hide those weaker ones in between those two. Those were the ones that continued to win. And it was... It was hilarious what the trash talk would happen between the two. Because as soon as the little person on the other side saw the big person on the other side, they ran to the back. This is not going to be good. But let me explain to you. That's, that's really the picture of a united front. That it's not just putting your best out front. It's anchoring the best in back and sandwiching the weak in between. And we're in this together. Because that's what I really liked. Is, I, again, I youth ministry many years and saw this tug of war. I mean, that used to be the go-to game, Denny. Sorry. You might need to bring that back. That used to be the go-to game. And I'll tell you, I got mad at the ones when you're starting to get close and you're, and you're getting up there and you're holding your tight and you're getting to the edge and they go, oh, let go and walk away. It's like, you go in that mud. I'd go pick them up and throw them in there. But with your team, you go in the mud. Right? You don't let go. So I used to get encouraged with the ones that would wrap that rope right around them and dig into it because I know if something happens, they're going in with me. But as Christians, the Bible explains that God is our rear guard. He's anchored onto our rope. And it says that Jesus, the righteous one, goes before us. And they just sandwich us in between. The united front means that you're not just going to hold on when things are going well. But you're going to hold on. Even if we get our feet a little dirty, I'm going to pull myself back out. Because I got Jesus before me. I got God behind me. A united front. Brothers and sisters, we need to keep pulling together. The world is waiting and watching us. 
I mean, have you ever invited somebody to church and they refuse because, well, they're a bunch of hypocrites? Well, I know all they do. I mean, I used to go, I mean, used to, listen. When I go after the ones that get hurt and, and stop coming to church and you ask them and they start to come back, they're like, well, everybody's judging me and everybody's going to look down on me. That's not us. That should not be said of us. The world is waiting and watching to see how we act with each other, with new people coming in, with those that are broken, that left and are coming back in. The world is watching. Turn with me like I ask you to, which I know you all just listen to everything I say. John chapter 17 it was interesting that right before Jesus went to the cross, he went in the garden and he prayed. And it said that he prayed so fervently, if I can say that word correctly, but so intensely that he sweat drops of blood. And I actually was just reading the medical condition that that's called to where it's proven that that does happen. In which, stay tuned for Easter, you'll hear a little bit more about that. But he prayed not only for his disciples, but this part I want to look at is that he prayed for all believers. All believers that are going to end up hearing and believing because of this message. And so let's just look at this together. And I want to, like I've been trying to teach us over the last few months, is slow down and look at each word. And I was even encouraged because I sat through one of the healing rooms this last Wednesday, and one of the words spoken over me was God saying, chew slowly, right? Was that it? Chew slowly. She's like, it sounds weird. I'm sorry. I don't know what that means. I said, I know exactly what it means. God keeps telling me to slow down and chew my words slowly. So let's look at this scripture. Just three verses. John chapter 20. Sorry, John chapter 17, starting with verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about the disciples and those who will believe the disciples' message after Jesus has gone back to heaven. That's us. We've heard, we've believed through the message. Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, okay, pause right there. A couple weeks ago, I told you, whenever you see the word so that or that, usually means so that, it's trying to tell you before, this is what I want to happen so that this will happen. So if we back it up, uh, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us. You can input why then, right before so that. Why? May they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me. There's that word again, so that, so you back it up. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Why? So that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. There's that word again, so that, so back it up. I and them, they, you know, they and me. Why? So that. They may be brought to complete unity. Then. Then means here's the cake. Those were the ingredients and directions. It's how we mix it all together. And here's the cake. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for us. The ones who believe through the message. Why? So that. There's three so that's. So that. Plus. If you add these three together, it will equal this. The world may believe. We start acting as if we are one like Jesus and God are one. Can you try to wrap your mind around that? He says, if you would start living... As one, like Jesus and the Father are one. People will start to believe. That means a little light comes on inside of them when they see you or hear you. or what Your testimony, you're where those people do what together? Like a little light bulb starts coming. They start to believe. What? That we may be one as Jesus and the Father are one. That we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know. You see how it's progressive there? So that. First they'll believe. If you just start, if you start praying and you start believing that you can actually be one. As Jesus and the Father are one. People are waiting and watching. The world is waiting and watching. When you go out to dinner, you're sitting in a restaurant and you start discussing everything that you hate about the church or you don't like, let me say it nicely, that you don't like about the church and if you were in charge. and the, People are listening. See, I knew there are a bunch of hypocrites, backbiters. Right? They're listening. You ever watch people you're sitting around in a restaurant? You know the ones that have been married more than two years because they're usually not talking. They're the ones that are really listening because they got no conversation going on here. They're listening. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Then the world will know how. How can this happen? Jesus said, I gave them what? My glory. I have given them the glory that you gave me. The Greek word for glory right here, and I won't even try to say that word, is defined as a most glorious condition, a most exalted state. Adam Clark, theologian and Bible commentary of the 1800s, he stated, as Christ, the Son of God, he may be understood as saying right here, I have communicated 
to all those who believe or shall believe in me. The glorious privilege of becoming sons of God, that being all adopted children of the same father, they may abide in peace, love, and unity. That's the glory. Jesus said, I no longer call them servants. Call them brothers, brethren, friends. We're all joint heirs with Christ. Jesus said, I gave them that same glory. I communicated it to them. I made it clear that they are children of God. I also believe it's confirmed in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that that glory that he's talking about is this Holy Spirit. The seal of ownership upon us. First, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That's the adoption proof. The seal of ownership upon us. His name written on us. We got to go through four adoptions in our family. Some, a few more than just four in this church, have went through that adoption process. Where with us, we spoke to the boys because they all came in pretty old except for Tyler. Um, and didn't want to change their first name, but told them that with being adopted, they were going to change their last name. And if they wanted to, we would even replace their middle name to make them part of the lineage, I guess you'd say, of our family. And so in that, with the four that we adopted, we placed my dad's full name in the middle of. So, you know, we've got Dennis, Carl, Lee, as you know, Jacob, Dennis, Mauer there. Now everybody knows your middle name. We've got Nicholas, Carl, Mauer. We've got Justin, Lee, Mauer. We've got my dad's name throughout all the boys' names. And then Victor, the one that, the youngest one that came in, um, Tyler, Victor. It's because there's a Brian Victor. Our oldest boy is Isaiah Victor. And now he's a Tyler Victor. But those are names that are written on us. And when we went into that courtroom and did the adoption process, they gave us a sealed certificate that says, now you belong to this family. You see, the scripture we just read, God said, I've given you a seal, that deposit, guaranteeing you my family heritage, my family, everything. You are joint heirs with Christ. Not one of my boys are looked upon, or kids are looked upon differently than the rest. Because they all bear my name, our name. They're part of our family. They're grafted in. There's no less than. I used to get so upset when we first started fostering and people would come up to me and say, um, so what ones are your biological? And what ones are your well, adopted kids? I'm like, if I could have birthed them, I would have. And it doesn't make them any less than in my eyes. They are grafted in, so don't separate them like that. And it used to be a very sore spot with me, you know, 
Imagine God. Imagine what he went through. I mean, we didn't have to sacrifice one of our biological sons to adopt these other. God did. God sacrificed his one and only so that he could graft you in as his own. And he put a seal on you. And he says, now you are mine. And he said, because of that oneness that I have with my son, I want you all to have that same oneness with each other and with God and Jesus. As one, we become united. Part of the armor of God is the helmet of salvation. I did a study on that helmet of salvation. The theologians here describe that we're that on that helmet in soldiers when they went to war, on their helmet was somehow marked the seal of the army which they belonged to. So when you look at the helmet of salvation, that helmet of salvation marks the name of who you belong to. So we're to wear that as a badge, honor, basically as a badge of honor. I belong to the King of Kings. That's the helmet of salvation when it's spoke of. Herman Edwards is a colorful and witty coach who was with the Kansas City Chiefs. When it came to this thought on unity and teamwork, he said, the players that play on this football team will play for the name on the side of the helmet and not the name on the back of the jersey. Now think of that in, in your helmet of salvation. Your whole life as a Christian, until Jesus or God calls you home, Jesus is the name. God is the name that's written on the side of your helmet. That's the one you play for. That's the one you fight for. That's the one you stand for. That's the one you represent, not the name on the back of your own jersey. Well, I'm just a loner. I like doing things myself. Whose name is on the side of your helmet? It's not about individual. Could you imagine teams trying to just play for their own? I mean, it's got to be about the name written on the side of the helmet. We must keep that same focus. Unity must come from a team mentality of reaching the same goal. Or we're all just a bunch of wackos running around on a field all screaming, it's for my glory, you know, right? Yeah. So that, remember, this is all for that reason, so that the world may know that God loves them and sent his son for them. That's the so that. That's the reason for the unity. The other scripture I want us to look at is Psalms 133. I think I put a marker in that one. Hey, I did. Psalms 133. We're going to read the whole chapter. Oh, yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert. It's only three verses. You can do it. Psalms 133. I mean, in these three verses says so much to how and the power of and the results of unity that I just want to help you chew slowly. This word. 
So let me read it and then we'll go back and chew on it. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. Verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. The words good and pleasant encompass more than I could even write down. But the um, fulfillment of resources, the prosperity of all riches, good and pleasant just means so much. It's not just, oh, no, I'm talking like good, like, okay. Heaven and earth, good and pleasant. I don't know how more to say. Everything you can think of that would make you smile. Jump up and down and give a hoot and holler. Good and pleasant. That's what those words mean right there. It's not just, yeah, that's nice. Like hoot and holler, you just won the lado. Okay, does that help? Anyway. All right, there. When God's people live together in unity, verse 2, it is like precious oil poured on the head. Who's the head of the church? Jesus is. Jesus is the head of the church. It's like precious oil. Oh, let me back up. Precious oil. In the Bible, oil is represented by the Holy Spirit, the anointing, the Holy Spirit anointing poured on the head. In Luke 7 and other, uh, in other places in the gospel, it talks about the sinful woman that came and anointed Jesus' feet. And in Luke 7, actually down in verse uh, 46, I think it says, when the people started saying, oh, he's letting that sinful woman pour that oil on his feet and, you know, cry at his feet. He looked at them and he says, you did not even put oil on my head when I came in. But since I've been here, she hasn't stopped pouring perfume over my feet, crying and wiping my feet with her hair. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins are forgiven as her great love has shown. Now you lay that in with Psalms 133 here. The precious oil poured on the head shows our love for Jesus. And in pouring that oil on his head, that unity that we have, it's like pouring oil on Jesus' head, shows our love for him because of our love for each other. And it says it will cover The Bible says love will cover over a multitude of sins. We can make a whole lot of mistakes, but when our love overflows to each other, it's like pouring oil on Jesus' head. And he says that kind of love cover over a multitude of sins. Unity shows our love for Jesus. 
Then it goes on to say, running down the beard, comma, running down on Aaron's beard. Running down on the, the beard, and then clarifying, no, running down on Aaron's beard. Aaron was the first priest to be anointed. See, first it's anointed. First he'll just cover. When unity, remember, this is talking about when unity, when that brotherly love comes together. It's like pouring that oil of anointing on Jesus, showing the love for God. And then as people come in, it's like pouring that anointing oil on them. And then it, it goes on to clarify on them and then on the beard of Aaron. See, let me help you understand that God calls common people. There's the beard. God calls common people in. When we're loving the way we are supposed to, it pours it on them and anoints them with the precious oil of his Holy Spirit and in so declares them as priests. See, we are called a holy priesthood. When it's running down on Aaron's beard, we're not just people. We're not just God's people. He called us a royal priesthood. When that unity, that love is flowing together, it pours it out on God's head. It pours it out on Jesus' head. It covers over a multitude of sin. It covers every person that comes in here. And it can transform them into God's chosen royal priesthood down Aaron's beard. And then he goes on to say, down the collar of his robe. Says, so plentiful is the oil that's poured on Jesus' head that goes down and touches every person, that even as they're anointed as a priest, royal priesthood, that it runs down their collar. And a collar is something that binds the garment together. That love binds us together. Binds us together. And actually, if you look through Isaiah 61, it talks about just a few of the garments that binds us together. It binds us together in the garment of praise. Binds us together in the garment of salvation. Binds us together in the garment of righteousness. That's all just in one chapter there of Isaiah 61. So if you think that the oil runs down on the garment, the the collar that binds the garments together, the garments of praise, the garments of salvation, the garments of righteousness. But again, looking at this verse, if we're all un unified, if we all come into unity, love each other like we're supposed to, we pour upon Jesus the very oil, the precious oil, anointing him, right? The love pours out on him. Pours out on everyone that comes in. Anoints them. Can anoint them as the priest. And set them apart for his calling. For his purposes. It binds us together in our praise. In our worship. It binds us together in our commission. To reach the lost. The salvations. It binds us together in righteousness. Which is raising the standard in our own lifestyles. Holy nation. Binds us together. Verse 3. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. You ever read that and just keep reading? Oh, come on, y'all do it. Just like you do all those names, I do it too. 
did some studying. Mount Hermon is the very loftiest peak in all the land of Palestine. 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 With a height of over 9,000 feet, it is often snow-capped and was lush throughout the year with a heavy dew. Where Mount Zion, which was not like right beside, because the picture is, is that the two mountains are right beside each other and, and the dew is falling on. No, it, the mountain, and I can't remember if it was 100 or 1,000 miles away from Mount Hermon. It says, as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Mount Zion, even though it, it was God's, that's where God's house was. That was his holy mountain, Mount Zion, the holy mountain. It's where the house of God was. It was very dry all the time, especially in the, what did they call it, the dry? The summer months, no rain would fall at all. And that's actually where they would take their pilgrimages, zzzz, zzzz. They're, you know, and could you imagine, I mean, dry, and then, you know, you know, they said that wherever you look, you could see Mount Hermon in the distance. And so it was as if they're seeing those snow-capped mountain peaks, but they're over here on the worshiping on Mount Zion, in this dry summer months, and they're saying, but when brothers and sisters dwell together, brotherly love and unity, that it's not a dry place. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. And actually, the word picture there is it's refreshing, it's plentiful, and it's satisfying all the needs of the people. As if the dew of Hermon were falling out Mount Zion. That's what happens when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. So in context, the love and unity between God's people is like that dew of Hermon falling, plentiful, refreshing, and providing for all. For there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. Where? There. Where's there? It's kind of like the who's on first, who's on second. No, what's on second? Who's on third? Abbott and Costello. I know most of you don't know what I'm talking about. Anybody under 40 probably doesn't know what I'm talking about. Look it up. YouTube it. There. Where? Where God's people live and dwell in unity. And here it says he bestows his blessings a bestowment is a commandment. It's a commanded blessing. It cannot be withdrawn. It's commanded. It's a spoken word of God. He bestows. He commands. That's where. And it cannot be revoked. My blessing will dwell. Cannot be stolen. Cannot be taken away. It cannot be erased. It's bestowed. It's the spoken word of God. Bestowed blessings. It's commanded. So how do we live in unity? It's when we focus on our mission, we face the same enemy, shoulder to shoulder. But if we're always turned this way, did you hear what she said? Did you see what she was wearing? Did you know why he looked at me like that? We're not facing the right enemy. Shoulder to shoulder. 
Pickering said, if there is one thing more than another required in the church of God today, it is that we present a united front to the enemy. There is a great need of aggressive unity. Just before the battle of Trafalgar, I, I slaughter every name, I'm sorry, Nelson inquired of Admiral Collingwood where his captain was and learned that he and Captain Rotherham were not on good terms with each other. Sending a boat for the captain, he placed the hands of Collingwood and Rotherham together, pointed to the enemy's ships, and earnestly looking them both in the face, he uttered these simple words, Look, yonder is the enemy. It was enough. Disagreements were forgotten, and victory was gained. Your enemy does not sit beside you in church. Your thorn in your flesh is not your brother or your sister. Look, yonder is your enemy. Stand shoulder to shoulder, hand in hand. And remember who you're fighting against and who and what you're fighting for. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul says, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Remember whose name is written on your helmet. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he goes on to say this. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. There is only one. Stop trying to divide it up. There's one, one goal, one God, one Savior, one mission. There wasn't many commissions. There was one great commission. Matthew Henry alludes to this united front in his commentary of all believers by saying, in consideration of their agreement, when you agreed to become a child of God, giving your life over to God, you agreed to, you signed basically, an agreement in Jesus' blood that says, I agree to fight for one. Go ahead and write your name right here on the side of my helmet. He says, in consideration of their agreement and communion in one creed, one covenant, one spirit, and one Bible, in consideration of what they have in one God and one Christ, and of what they hope for, which is one heaven, they can be one mind and one mouth. It is possible for us to be one just as Jesus and God are one. Because when we ask Jesus to come into our life, we basically say, here it is, God, I turn over my life to you. Sign in your blood, Jesus, write your name on my helmet. We agree to one, to be one. 
him and us, us and him, us and each other. One, a united front. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, said, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to one another? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to the same standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. See, that's what I'm talking about, moving from a fellowship where we're all looking at each other. <laughs> and we're a cadre, shoulder to shoulder, looking at God. When we're all doing what we're supposed to be doing, unity automatically happens. Because when we stay in tune with God, we're automatically tuned with everybody else that's tuning in to God. It's as if pouring the oil over God's head, pouring the oil over the beard, over the beard of Aaron, the dew of Hermon. And I don't know why God gives me acronyms, but when I was putting this message together, I saw the words unity. You and I, together, yoked with Christ. You and I, together, yoked with Christ. Unity. is not, well, I'm going to, this is my unity group over here. I like Mike and Anna and Aaron, and this is my group. These are the people I really like. Yeah, I, I'll put up with you. <laughs> no. Unity is not about personalities and if we get along, if we don't get along. Love is more than that. I mean, come on, let's be honest. If we're talking about family, there's some family members we wouldn't really pick, would we? We all have some of those in our family, right? Don't answer that yet. Don't don't elbow anybody either. But the love, the brotherly love he's talking about is the unity that if we focus on Christ arm in arm together, we band together, we have the same purpose, we have the same enemy, we're united front. And we will. I mean, I just repeated that to somebody I was praying for the other day. Is I am standing and fighting with you in prayer and I refuse to leave any man behind. That's a united front. Remember, God is our rear guard. He's the big guy, strapped in back, anchored in back for us. And Jesus is the righteous one going before us. He's our intimidator. Right? Doesn't he say when people persecute you on behalf of me, rejoice? We're the little weak ones behind him going, ha, <laughs> ha. We're just holding on, really. I mean, we try to pull, but come on. 
cornerstone assembly of God, living, loving, and fighting as a united front. Jesus told Peter, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you understand, and I think I've shared this before, that that does not mean that we're you know, huddled in these four walls and saying, Oh, God, save us and keep us strong until you come back for us. But this scripture means the gates of hell will not prevail. Is actually a word picture of us running toward the battle line. United together, cadre, banded, arm in arm, and going after the gates of hell. And they cannot stand in, in us opposing them. They're the ones cowering behind their walls of hell. You know, I, I've heard it said over and over again, which I just love, that I want every morning I wake up and put my feet on the ground for hell to shake and say, crack, she woke up again. <laughs> I'm coming for you, buddy. Really? That's the picture of the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Brothers and sisters dwelling in unity, brotherly love. Nothing can oppose. God's blessings are commanded upon us. That's what I want to see here. So as I close right now, <laughs> as Amy comes back up front, I want you to think for a minute. I mean, we're all family, and it always happens. Um, there's tiffs and rifts, uh, offenses, hurt feelings. Or sometimes there's just a weird feeling. I think something might be, I think there's something wrong in between us that we need to make right. And so what I want to do as Amy plays this song, let me just read Colossians 3. In verse 12 it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. I want to remind you that when you get your feelings hurt, when you get offended by somebody, it's not their responsibility to come and make it right with you. You don't get to sit on this thing, this offense, this hurt, whatever it is, and say, well, until they come to me. I thought it was kind of funny that Pastor Neil showed that video and that, that Pastor was showing that if we hold on to something, you know, with tithing in that analogy, it's beautiful. But when I was writing this message, I came across that you know that the best way to capture monkeys is simply by putting something they want in a jar. They pull their hand down in the jar, they grab a hold of that, whatever it is, and they can't get their arms. So they actually, there's a tribe, and I won't tell you, and I won't tell you what they do with the monkeys, I'm not going there. They actually attach the jar to the ground or to something so the jar can't move. They put something that the monkey wants in it. The monkey goes up to the jar, 
puts his hand in the jar, grabs a hold of that thing, and can't get his hand back up out of the jar. And he will sit there to his death because he won't let go of that thing. And when I was putting this message together and I saw that, I'm like, oh, Lord, it's us. We hold on to this bitterness or this offense or this hurt feeling and we won't let go of it and sit there to our death because someone so-and-so has to come to me and apologize to me. Do you understand that this scripture I'm reading to you says, clothe yourself. God's saying this is your responsibility. Crap's gonna happen. Sorry, I said it again. Stuff is going to happen. The world is cruel. When we had all the kids in the house, I mean, that was daily at the dinner table. I reminded them, the world is evil. And they're all going to hate you at one point or another. But in here, in this house, we love unconditional peace, love, acceptance here. That's what our house is supposed to be like. Unconditional. I mean, who wants to walk in a church and see a bunch of monkeys with their hand in the jar? It's your responsibility. Clothe yourself. He goes on to say, with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Again, here it says it again. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if you, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Listen to that. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance. So he's not saying if you're the guilty party or not the guilty party. If you're the victim or the, well, tormentor, I guess. He's saying either one doesn't matter forgive as the Lord forgave you where have we heard that one before the Lord's prayer Jesus said you need to forgive as God forgave you or God will not forgive you your sins if you can't forgive other people their sins Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together. There it is again, down on the collar. The oil that flows down on the collar. And it binds them all together in perfect unity. So how do we do this? Each one of us have to make up our mind. Be the big person to tuck our tail between our legs if we have to and go to the other person whether whoever's fault it is or maybe you don't even know like I said maybe you just feel like there's there's tension there I, I was just saying that to one person on my staff so, because the enemy tries to get in any way he can any way he can and we've talked about this at our marriage life group that the lack of communication will breed distrust Torment in women's minds because we, I mean, we can develop quite a story in our mind where there's a lack of communication, a misunderstanding. 
So if you quickly just go to that person and say, you know what, when I see, I feel like there's, there's something wrong. And I don't want to give the enemy a foothold anywhere in our relationship. That that can get cleared up right away. Forgive, bear with, and overall, love. So let me pray with you today. We're going to ask the worship team, sorry, worship team, altar team, to come up. We want to close this with prayer. We want to pray that love fills this place. The precious oil runs down on every one of us. But in order to begin to feel that love that binds us all together in perfect unity, you need to go and forgive. So what I'm going to ask you to do is stand up. And I want everybody to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to ask Pastor Neil to come up and just ask anybody that needs prayer to come up to get prayer. But I want that also to be a time for you to go and talk to somebody. If you know somebody in this room that you need to forgive, that you need to make your relationship right again, there's time now to do that. And so to be the one that steps out. And you don't have to get, don't get nitpicky about it. Don't try to explain what it is. Just say, will you forgive me? I think there's been something between us and I don't I don't need to nitpick it and, and defend it, you know, or, or what, what, dissect it. Don't do that. Just okay. Then pray with each other. All right? So let me pray. Father, I ask right now that you just help us, God, to understand what true unity really is and the power that can come behind this united front when we link together arm in arm, focused and tuned in on you. This united front cannot, cannot, be uh, held back but the gates of hell cannot prevail against this body when we're united like that the precious oil of your anointing your Holy Spirit flowing down that God that it just it, it helps us Lord in not only loving each other and covering over a multitude of sins but communicating our love for you God for those that come in, Lord, that they would feel that same anointing, that same love, Lord. That as your word says, that they'll believe. They can believe. They can begin to see, oh, there really must be a God that loves me. By the love I see of these people with each other. Help us to love like that. Help us be united together like that. Help us lock arms together with each other and to keep the enemy before us focused focused before us we're fighting with our brothers and sisters and I ask right now that you begin to just prick hearts God if there's reconciliation that needs to happen in this room that Holy Spirit go move and begin doing that and so as the altar team comes up to get ready to pray for people, and if you want prayer, come on up. Pastor Neil's going to take the microphone, and he's going to help direct this altar time. 
feel free to go and talk to other people and make that right. 